What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Cinema. This is episode 241, where tonight we're going to be discussing Reminiscence, and then we're going to take over The Protégé and Respect. Roger and I are going to take one of those each, respectively. Roger, how are you, man? It's been a while since we have been so Yeah, just the two of us. I mean... I'm the domineering force in this show. That's debatable. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, it's it's really not. <laughs> whoa, 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 sir. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Other than that, you know, things are good. COVID's back. That's awesome. COVID is back, and that is super, super awesome. back. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's it's ramping up everywhere. Um, yeah, it's just. Oh man, <laughs> this country is never going to get COVID. Could be better. <laughs> this country is never going to get rid of COVID. That's my great fear, but. Uh, AMC has said they do not plan on shutting down. That's all I care about. That's all I gave any kind of a crap about. Is AMC going to shut down again? They said no. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to shut down anymore because there's just not enough people that care. <laughs> They're just like other people will die. It's fine. <laughs> Jeez, that is I not don't... an official. That is not an official viewpoint of Fourth Love of Cinema podcast. I didn't say it was. I wasn't <laughs> making it my my statement. I'm just. I think that's just how some people feel at this point. I'm very happy. I have the. You know, for a while I was going back and forth on like, am I happy I have the vaccine? And I, I am happy I have the vaccine. So at least that's been in my body now since April. So I'm happy that's a thing. Who knows what's gonna what it's gonna do to us all in ten years? But I mean, it's ten years from now. We're fine. Uh, all right. All right. Good talk. <laughs> Moving on. All right. What did I do this week? I had a pretty good weekend. I watched. I finally finished my two World War II documentaries, which, by the way, both on Netflix. One of them. Um, the Great Battles of World War II talks about some huge turning points in the war, and it really goes in depth about very, like, very specific things. And that's a Netflix. I, I didn't know that was a Netflix exclusive, so it's actually really good. It's ten episodes talking about ten major events. Uh, it has some historians on talking about what they think going through the commanders' heads, and it's really, it's really intriguing. If you like the, if you like World War II, I really had a blast with it. Um, I you know, never talking watched... about World War II for a second. I I know we've discussed it before. Did I tell you they started filming the third Band of Brothers thing? Oh yeah, the it's uh, it's about the, the about the jumpers, about the yeah, paratroopers, the Air Force, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember. Yes. Yeah. I'm, well, you see, the thing about give that is, me. Band of Brothers. To 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 quote my good friend Roger, "Give it to me, you cowards." <laughs> give me, dude. <laughs> You cowards. <laughs> Band of Brothers, obviously fantastic. The Pacific, while not, while not as fantastic, is still very good. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's just also a different kind of – it's a different theater of war. It's a very different kind of show because it's – thing. It, it wasn't two armies moving on a different – you know, back and forth on the, on land. It was, you know, island hopping and it dealt more with like the, the psychology behind, the, behind the, the soldiers. And I really did enjoy the Pacific. I love the music. Uh, so I I do go into and then this is relevant to our conversation today because of reminiscence. But I'm going into this next Band of Brothers installment, the third one, very high hopes. It, it's okay. Great. Like I just I I expect great things from the people that gave us both the Pacific and Band of Brothers. So I mean, do we have a reason not to? No, I I do not. But you know, I hope it comes through clutch and is very good. But yeah, I yeah, just I want good be. gripping stories that really that like beg me to watch week after week, like Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the Roy Kent effect. The Roy Kent effect. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Roy, Roy Kent. Kent. <laughs> Roy Kent. <laughs> We're gonna talk more about Roy Kent in a little bit, but boy, oh boy, he is the man. We'll talk about Roy Kent now. <laughs> Roy Kent would want to talk about Roy Kent right now. That's for sure. 
All right. Roger, anything going on this week? Anything fun? No, not really. Um, you know, pretty pretty laid back week. You know, after I spent uh, most of last week helping my buddy uh, get through the – I had a, a friend of mine had his uh, father pass away. So spent a lot of time uh, working through all that and, you know, helping him out with some things, getting some stuff back in line for the remainder of his family. So, you know, been a lot, uh, a lot less downtrodden, a lot less alcohol consumed this week for me, which I guess is probably a good thing. Um, so, you know, there's that. You know, this week I actually discovered a, a Japanese beer. We went to... Uh, we yeah, was it called Bush Original? Because <laughs> no. that's what I drank. No. Was, <laughs> because that's what his old man drank. I've never had uh, Ishiban, but it was it's really good. Ishiban mean number one. I, I really loved it. I, I never. I don't think I've ever had a Japanese beer, but I really loved it. So speaking you ever of had a Sapporo beer, before? I, I don't think so. There's another one too I've had. I'm pretty okay. sheltered. I'm pretty sheltered in my uh, in my beer tasting. So yeah, they're the rice. They're the beers made of rice. So uh, yeah, it's it was really good though. I, I was I don't know what I was I don't really know what I was expecting. Probably nothing, but I it was pleasantly. I, I I even got a second one, so it was good. You had a second one. I did. We had dinner at a uh, at a Japanese steakhouse, and it was uh, it was very tasty. Good. Mm. That's my just... that's that's my new experience with the beers. But anyway, <laughs> segue into beers to. This is episode 241 of For the Love of Cinema, a podcast about movies, film, and cinema was poached each and every Tuesday at 5 a.m. on Podbean, New York time, which then distributes to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. That's midnight in Great Britain. Thank, thank you for the that. The day before. The day – is it? Britain's five hours ahead of us, so it's 10 a.m. in Britain. Yes, I said that wrong. Yeah, it's great. Five, yeah. <laughs> They're five hours ahead of us. Each and every week, we start with the box office curtain up, currently says, what's streaming trailers and the movies of the week? Without further ado, let's jump right into the box office. Candyman making a surprising $22.4 million domestic, bringing its worldwide to 22.7. Wow, that point three worldwide really, really helped out Candyman. Candyland? I, I made that mistake this week, too. Candyman. I was, telling, I was, I was, I was telling someone we were watching next week, we were, we were going to watch Candyland, and they're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, you know, the horror movie. And they're like, Candyland is a horror movie? Like Shoots and Ladders? <laughs> Shoots and Ladders. I was like, oh, Candyman, that's the one. All right, number two. And Candy. <laughs> Free Guy, still doing a very respectable $13.6 million domestic, bringing a worldwide total, Roger, to get this, $180 million. Good. That is a very surprising number, but it certainly deserves it. Paw Patrol, the movie, not doing quite so well, $6.6 million bringing in a worldwide of 61.8. That's doing better than expected, I think, too. If anybody asks me if we're going to do the Paw Patrol movie, the answer is no. I've been asked by several people. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. One guy asked me about that literally today. He's like, when are you guys going to talk about Paw Patrol? And my immediate answer was, fucking never. <laughs> well, I have a lot of friends with kids listening to the show. They're like, my kids are, I mean, like, well, they're not going to listen. If you look to me for things that your kids should watch, you have failed. <laughs> you, I mean, we would tell you Palm Springs. These are bad. That's right. Palm Springs on Hulu. And now Free Guy. And now Free Guy. Right. Actually, I, I actually had somebody ask. He's like, he's got a seven-year-old. He's like, can I take my seven-year-old to see Free Guy? I'm like, do you curse in front of your children? I don't. Some people do. I don't. You know, I mean, I yeah, know. I think Free Guys too. Is it? Do you think Free Guys? Uh, I don't right? know, man. It's pretty PG thirteen. Uh, I mean, look, like that's only that's only parental guidance strongly suggested. It's not. That's right. It's not Take your kids to see Ted Lasso. Ted, well, that's only on Apple. So or watch so? it with them. Let me take your kids. Where, where, where are they going to take them? 
The Ted Lasso house. The, the living room? All right, fair enough. Number four, Jungle Cruise, 5 million, bringing in 187. Well, oh, I can't wait until Free Guy passes that piece of crap up. Number five, Don't Breathe 2, 2.8 million, bringing a worldwide of 35. Again, I'm pretty disappointed in Don't Breathe um, performance in the box office, but we yeah. didn't, again, we got a lot of expectations it. for that. I like the first one. It was it was an interesting movie, so I like that. By uh, interesting, you mean weird, then yeah, sure. I mean, weird isn't always bad. Weird can be good. Sometimes. Not in that case. Weird can be good. All right, let's take a look at some upcoming releases now as we are poised to move in. So it is officially September tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, September 1st? Mm, no. It's not? No. Today's only the 29th. Okay, so we have one more day. You have two more well, days. Well, by the time August. this comes out. Yeah, August, yes. it'll, this comes out in the last day. I'm yeah, talking so, to you in the future. <laughs> in the future. So tomorrow, <laughs> yes, right. we, will, we will be in September. So that means we are poised to move right into the, you know, at least the holiday movie sweeps. Labor Day weekend, baby. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Not then, nine, not eleven. Ten. Thank you for that clarification, Roger. That's much needed. Cinderella on yes. Amazon. Uh, that's one that uh, we will not be looking at. But Probably it is, not ever. It is available on Amazon if you want to check that out. And then How about for once you people watch it and you tell me? <laughs> Fair all right, September 10th. What changed Mal- stuff up around <laughs> Malignant and Queen pins. September 17th. Clifford the Big Red Dog has a big line through it, so I don't think that's coming. Strike. Cry Macho. Everyone's talking about Jamie and the eyes of Tammy Faye all on the 17th. September 24th is Dear Evan Hansen. Starting off October strong with The Addams Family 2, Hotel Transylvania, Transformania on Amazon, and The Many States of Newark. Boy, that's a weird week, huh? Yeah. You have some severely rated R and severely not rated R. Hmm. Copy that. And then October 8th officially is No Time to Die, followed by the 15th, which is Halloween Kills, The Last Duel, and Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Well, that's a rated R week if I ever saw one. Jeez. Well, I mean, we don't know about Venom yet. We really don't. And then the following, Roger, Jackass Forever, Dune, and Ron's Gone Wrong, all on the 22nd. Ron's Gone Wrong moved up. Yeah, that's weird. That wasn't on the twenty second. Why would week. you slide into the spot with Jackass and Dune? I, I mean, well, I, mean because... I guess it gives an option for a family slash kids movie for that weekend, because you know, take your kids to see Jackass, folks. <laughs> Power move right there. Power I sure move. would. <laughs> October 29th, last night in Soho, and then it, November starts off pretty strong with the Eternals. Uh, followed swiftly by November eleventh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, good. So, and then, uh, yeah, we go, we just go right, we just keep on rolling right after that, but we'll stop there for now. We keep on keeping on, man. Keep on keeping on. That's a pretty strong release window we got there, too. I don't see any complaints. So, we got some big releases almost every week. All right, let's take a look at what's streaming this take this week. We're going to take a look at Amazon. So, if you have Amazon, be sure to check out Snatch by director Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, Brad Pitt, Vinnie Jones, Stephen Graham, William Beck, 2000, that movie came out. Brad Pitt is the pikey. <laughs> he, he's, he's also second build in that movie behind Jason Statham. I thought was weird. Friday Night Lights by director Peter Berg. One of the, I think this movie is incredible. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Lucas Black, Jay Hernandez, Derek Luke, Garrett Hedlund, Tim McGraw, Connie Britton, Amber Heard, 2004. That movie is Shit, I forgot strong. Amber Heard's in that movie. Yeah, that was before the Amber Heard uh, time started. Of course, she was a crazy person. She is. Um, she's the girl who is in the lamp scene when... 
hold on to the ball, Donnie. Why can't you hold on to the ball? Um, but yeah, that's a pretty strong movie. I don't. When was the last time you watched that, Roger? Uh, actually, not too long ago. I, I did Friday Night Lights a lot. So. Yeah, that's a hell of a movie. You know, I, you know, for for liking the movie as much as I did, I never got into the show. I kind of feel guilty. No, about I never that, watched the show once. I kind of feel guilty about that, but I've been told the movie is leagues and leagues ahead of the show anyway. So, so it's it's weird. So I want a confession about me and television. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV. I know it's weird given what we do, but what I do watch, I watch a lot of. Like I like shows where I can binge them, um, even if it's not over a short amount of time. If there's a show that I haven't watched. I like to be able to be like, well, yeah, there's five seasons of this. It's They're all pretty good. You should sit down and watch them. I like to do that. I don't watch a lot of stuff as it comes out except for, like, lately the Marvel stuff and things like, you know, last year I, when I got to binge watch Ted Lasso. Thank you. I can't do it this year. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, that's, that's really how I watch TV. So stuff like um, regular network TV stuff that was on, like, NBC and stuff like that, I don't ever watch any of that stuff, man. It's just not anything that's in my radar. But but it's it's not we're not saying I mean at least well I shouldn't say we I'm not saying it's just for lack of lack of interest on my part it's nothing to do I'm sure they're fantastic TV shows some are good some are bad I'm sure you know See, I, I I'm not trying to knock anything but you know I we talk every now and then about you guys watching This Is Us yeah but like This Is Us is a network television show that I don't care anything about I mean I get if it was on like HBO I'd probably be interested in it at least a little bit more. I get that though. It's I just I really don't have any interest to watch anything that's not on a streaming channel to be on to be honest with you. But like HBO changed all that. Is mm-hmm. and what do you prefer the, the the Netflix way of releasing a season all at once or the episodic release week after week? I'm kind of torn either way because I actually advocated for things to be released episodically, um, so you get more heat for it. And then now I just want to watch every episode of everything all at one time like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I'm legitimately a counterpoint of myself. Um, no, I'm okay with it either way. I understand when you do stuff episodically, you get more hype over a longer amount of time. So I that's, understand. That, that's, that's the obvious benefit, I think. Although I think – but you also risk people just losing interest and not, you know, like, yeah, well, I don't want to yeah. – Again, though, the product just has to be there. Yeah, you're right. I, I guess it wouldn't be any different if Netflix. If you, if you watch a few episodes of a Netflix thing and it just isn't there, you just okay. I just don't watch the next you just one. Punch just, out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the thing. Yeah, you punched out after four hours instead of four weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, that's what it comes, comes down to. All right, and the third movie on Amazon, Roger. I'll have you know one of my favorites, Aliens, by director James Cameron. It's Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Carrie Han, Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, the late Bill Paxton, Jeanette Goldstein, William Hope, 1986. That is one of the I think the if not the best sequel, one of the best sequels ever made. I, it's, Yeah, I mean, I won't argue with you on that. I am going to ask the question, though, that you chose to go, was Alien not available, or did you just choose Aliens? Well, I just I just chose Aliens because it was just the one on the scroll. Alien might have been available. I just okay. because I, no, don't I, mean, listen, I have a lot. I, I'm more of an Aliens fan than an Alien fan, but... As am I, uh, as am I. But, I mean, so I wanted... So Snatch is, is under the popular movies category, Friday Night Lights and Aliens are under the you uh, watch if you're looking for or Oscar uh, uh, Oscar nominated. So just so you can find them easier, they're under Oscar. Was it Chris that was telling us he had never seen Alien? Yeah, or Aliens. God damn it! I know there's a lot of sci-fi movies we have to catch him up on. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I need to watch from like my old back catalog of things, but 
yeah, those need to be watched. <laughs> yeah, those are those are just amazing films that just never ever. I, like, I told you I went through a thing with a, my one buddy where he would give me um, old horror movies and stuff that he considered essential, and I would work through them. So I worked through a bunch of movies that way, a bunch of older stuff. Well, some so. of those are like silly, but like that's also those. I mean, older... that's what brought, you know, if you remember, God, it's been a while ago now when I talked at length about the thing with Kurt Russell and uh, and I had never seen. Dude, I love that movie. I yeah, was no, that's a, that's a that's a that's a masterpiece. That's one of yeah. Carpenter's masterpieces. Yeah, sure. it was awesome. The remake was it left something to be desired. Not so great, Bob. Sure. Yeah, not so great at all, Bob. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. I didn't bring to the table what the thing did, but yeah, no, the thing with Kurt Russell is phenomenal. I I, I do like the thing. Uh, that's one of the movies I I watch over and over again when I see it. Well, especially around Halloween time, I'll give it a go. So. That is, uh, which is quickly approaching, less than, well, a little, a little more than two months away, Halloween. About so. basically eight weeks. Basically eight weeks. All right. Let's talk about some trailers. Roger, how did you feel about Bestseller? How did you feel about Michael Caine flipping off his audience? I mean, <laughs> power move, Michael Caine. Power I respect move. it. <laughs> because, you know, that's how you treat audiences sometimes. Sometimes you have to. Um, but no, I don't. I, I listen. I don't know about this movie. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that I don't know about it. Here's the thing. Okay, so bestsellers, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Carrie Elwes, Michael Caine. You know all those people for 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 their their different for respective lots of reasons. Things, yes. Um, that's a good cast. Uh, Scott Speedman is also in it. Uh, another name that you 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 know the face. You may not know the name, but it's here. I'll read the IMDb description. If you haven't seen the trailer, a cranky retired author reluctantly embarks on a final book tour to help out a young publisher, which is Aubrey. Aubrey Plaza's character, Lucy. So, but Michael Caine isn't just your average old person. He is Michael Caine is one of the best old people. I wish he was my grandpa. I wish Michael Caine was my grandfather. No, no, no offense to my grandfather. I wish Michael Caine was my grandfather. But uh, yeah, but he's I. He has a lot of sass in this movie, and he says the f word quite a bit in the trailer. So check that out. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Would you say say, say the f word? Can you say bullshit? Oh yeah, he says like it bullshit in, in the British way. Yeah, yeah, okay. But I, I'm looking forward to this. I don't. I couldn't tell you why, and I don't think more than 300 people around the planet are going to watch it. But I am psyched about. I love Michael Caine. To me, he can do no wrong. Even from his younger days, he can. Everything he's in is just pure gold to me. I'm not as crazy on Robbie Plaza as everyone was with Parks and Rec. I do like her. I think she's she's very talented. Just I've never watched that show either. That's a good man. Parks and Rec and Thirty Rock are just they're so good. All those Parks and Rec, Thirty Rock, The Office, never watched them. I never watched The Office, but I, I also wouldn't put The Office in with those two. I mean, Schitt's Creek fits better with Thirty Rock and The Office, I think, than or nope, Thirty Rock. That and, and you got to watch Schitt's Creek. If, nope. if we're gonna make if we're gonna make Chris watch Ted Lasso, you got to watch Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek is amazing. every episode's twenty minutes. Man, you you can bang out four episodes a day, no problem. Easy peasy. That's that's a pretty exceptional show. That won tons of awards, as it should. I've won a ton of awards. I know you have various things in my life. I know you have whatever have to do with my creativity. <laughs> Fair. All right, so, so I'm I think more excited about bestsellers than you are. But I mean as long as it's a good movie, that's all I really care about. So all right. What did you think about Foundation, which it described as it's an it, it's an Apple TV plus a complex saga of humans scattered on planets throughout the galaxy, all living under the rule of the Galactic Empire. I wonder where we've heard that one before. Yeah, so um, it looks <laughs> weird, and I didn't really care about it. 
I it was a TV series, but I tend to pay attention to stuff on Apple because I think there's not Apple doesn't flood the market like the other streaming channel, at least not yet. So I mean, when they put something out, I tend to take a look at it. I am not really sure on this one myself. Jared Harris, Lee Pace, uh, you know, you know Jared Harris, you know Lee Pace. So I mean, it's I'm not quite sure I'm going to invest more than a couple episodes. I'll give it a few episodes. I think you owe any show that. To give it maybe one or two episodes, maybe maybe three or four, depending on how you're feeling. But it is sci-fi, and sci-fi in the in, in the TV realm has a tendency to not be so good. But again, that's just my observation. I don't know how you feel about sci-fi in the TV realm. Um, on a thing like Apple TV, I'm more intrigued to look at it on regular television. Absolutely, don't care about it. I agree. The only show I've ever, ever really cared about. I see. I, I never got into like Battlestar Galactica. I never got into that. But I mean, I have friends that are really into it. The only thing I ever got into was Firefly, and that didn't make it more than one season. So, but that's now a cult classic. So there's that. But as far as um, well, you know what? No, we talked about one not too long ago. Sliders. I did really enjoy Sliders. It wasn't. Yeah, great. I mean, that's, that's fun. I, it wasn't great, and I saw it years and years and years after. I saw. I think I saw it in 2011. The whole thing. I watched it on DVD, but. DVD. Um, yeah, that's just never really been crazy about sci-fi and TV because it's just the budgetary constraints I don't think allow for it to be done right. But now, of course, you know, the Game of Thrones effect, the, the Mad Men effect, the Breaking Bad effect, uh, TV shows now have massive budgets and they don't look campy and silly anymore. So, Sure. I don't know how you feel about that, uh, listener, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it four episodes. I've decided after that I may not. Let's talk about the, 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 the trailer of the week, Roger. Spider-Man Far From Home. What say you, sir? Uh, this trailer was like PCP. It's just <laughs> insane. There's a million things going on. None of it I really understand. And I think it's fucking incredible. Well, see, I, I'm also... I mean, I've always liked Spider-Man a little more than more than the other event. I've had more experience with Spider-Man. But... I see this to me is like is the same thing I'm going to talk to is one of my gripes with reminiscence is cool premise, but that's the story you chose to go with. So the reason I love the last Spider-Man movie is because he was revealed. I'm like, okay, now we're past these normal. Now we're past these conventional norms of superheroes never getting revealed who they are. I like this. This is actually really good for Marvel. It, it, it forces their writers to be adult. And then I watch this trailer and we go back to that's the route they choose is try to make everyone forget that he's Spider-Man. Right. What they we're going to get Spider-Man. Are we? We're going to get Tobe Maguire and we're going to get Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. See, I that. hope so because, damn it, I love the Andrew Garfield. Give me, listen, all this does is another step into the multiverse. Which, That's look, it. I'm happy for if they're going in that direction. They are. Like, 100%. I don't like it if they're just going back to making him a man. He's fighting Dr. Octopus. Yes. Played, played, played by Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. Again. Yeah, again. Yes. Good. I mean, perfect. Alfred Molina was one of the greatest villains in one of the greatest superhero movies before, you know, before the last couple of years. Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Spider-Man 2. Used to be the used to be the apex of superhero movies. Spider-Man 2 and X-Men 2. very good. Oh yeah, it's not it's not besmirched anyway. It's just I still think Into the Spider Verse is the best superhero movie to date, but that is just me. I don't know where you sit on that. Well, it's not just you. I mean, I made that claim. I believe when it came out. Yeah, you. I mean that movie's so. I mean, it's yeah. it's just so good. 
I, you know, of course I love they're carrying on the Marvel tradition of going along with the storyline, which is, I mean, there was no danger that they weren't going to do that. Um, I suspect that this movie will end with Peter Parker still being revealed as Peter Parker or Spider-Man. Oh yeah, I don't think that's going away. No, I don't think that's going away either, which is, you know, a bold prediction, but I think it's probably pretty accurate. Uh, I mean, we finally get to see him and Mary Jane, not just being, you know, what's the, like the tongue in cheek, you know, you're Spider-Man, I'm Mary Jane. No, no one knows that I know, you know, we get to see them finally like hanging out together and we get to see them swinging across the city and, you know what's weird to me is they could have just sidestepped this whole thing by just saying, Dr. Strange, can you just homeschool me, please? <laughs> so I don't have to go to school and, and mobs of people. I appreciated when he was just like, I think we're past the point of you calling me, sir. And he's like, okay, Steven. He's like, uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> At first I thought he was going to say, let's go back to sir. But that's that was the expected thing, but. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, there's no – I think this movie is going to be great. I sure hope so. I love the Spider-Man. They are – I mind, have no reason to think that it will be bad. <laughs> Night Monkey. In my mind, the Spider-Mans have always been a cut above the rest of them, but that's just in my mind. Yeah. So, yay, Marvel. I love to see these trailers. So, wait. So, we have – so, we had Black Widow recently. We have Shang-Chi and – what, next week? No. Week Shang-Chi after. next week. Well, it comes out next week, but – yeah, and then the Eternals. So that's and then Spider Man. Then Christmas Spider Man. So we have in a matter of a couple of months, we have four Marvel movies, which is back to back to what we're used to, you know. Uh, I mean, even that's a little that's a little uh, it's a little cluttered, <laughs> little cluttered for their release window. Marvel's trying to build their stock back up. Yeah, sure. You're right because it's really slick now. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy buy some Marvel stock for a couple of pennies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Roger. Before we get into the movies, let's take a few minutes and talk about the brilliance that is. Ted Lasso. Roy Kent? Oh. Roy, yes, but by extension, Roy Kent. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Tell us about Roy Kent, Roger, in these two episodes. So we're going to talk about episode five and six. Uh, episode five, I mean, I won't beat around the bush here. It really just leads to Roy Kent being recruited to help out uh, bring Isaac the captain, get his mojo back because the team's floundering a little bit, kind of caught back in the middle. Um, it ends up that Ted Lasso, you know, does what Ted does and instills the idea that he should be a coach and Roy Kent leaves his pundit job to go coach, um, AFC Richmond as the fourth coach. So yeah, it's awesome. You know, he picks up his ticket as Reba McIntyre, walks onto the field. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. He goes, I believe you're holding a ticket for a Reba McIntyre. And the guy's like, this ticket's been waiting you for a long time, man. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, Reba McIntyre. But yeah, he walks out onto the field, walks, starts walking towards the coaching box. The whole crowd starts chanting. If he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. It was awesome. It's awesome. It's a great moment. Wonderful it moment. It was awesome. All right, Roger, let's talk about episode six. Episode six um, basically fluctuates around a couple of things. Big things happen this episode. Um, mostly Beard's back with his crazy girlfriend and everybody, you know, Higgins, Leslie Higgins is like, I don't think this is a great idea. And everybody's like, whoa, no, you don't say that. And Higgins is like off in the corner, like, like trying to, <laughs> trying to, to bring stuff up. So he keeps making that noise to him. It's weird. Um, but yeah, so they're in a FA Cup game. And if you don't follow English soccer, uh, the FA Cup is a tournament that runs throughout the regular like soccer season. 
um, that goes through every level, it begins at the lowest level of soccer all the way up to the the uh, the highest level of the premiership. And if you just keep winning, you keep playing. And they ended up playing against one of the best teams in the world, the Tottenham Hotspur, and uh, they ended up. Pulling it out, you know, score a two uh, a two one goal victory, and by the way, won. with a beautiful cross cut, with well, that's uh, how they take the lead. Yeah, that's uh, oh, Jamie man. Tart. Uh, you know, Roy Kent's been coaching up Jamie Tart, who he hates. You know, it's kind of incredible. One of my favorite parts <laughs> of that whole thing is when Roy, Ted, and Jamie are standing in the locker room, and Jamie's like, "Will you please help coach me?" And Ted's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I want to get on some of this." So he starts talking. He's like, tell me what's wrong with me. He's like, I'll tell you what's wrong with him. He looks right at Teddy. He goes, you fucked him up. <laughs> you took away oh, his yes. prick. Yeah. yeah. Made him not be such a prick. And he needs to be a prick at least some of the time. I love the signal. The signal yeah. on the field. So Jamie is allowed to go back to being a prick when he receives when the he signal. When he gets the signal. But so being, the signal being a prick. the entire coaching staff <laughs> giving him the finger. <laughs> it ends up on TV. <laughs> but it's a great signal. And it's very fitting for Jamie Chart. Jamie, sure. well, it's a very fitting signal from Roy Kent to Jamie. You know, it's just it's very fitting for the universe. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then a beautiful cross cut yeah. in the end of the episode where you hear the the commentators narrating how that that Richmond is just taking control of the field and they've won when Rebecca is looking for. Well, Ted ran off the field saying he was sick. He was having a, he was having a panic attack just like he did at uh, the karaoke night, and he actually ended up in the. Uh, and Dr. Sharon's office wanted to make an appointment. So that so was he, he got a, he gets a phone call early in the episode. We're not too clear on what we, we know it involves his son somewhat. We don't know anything else. So yep. I mean, but it's Ted is not in a good place right now. But it was a beautiful moment. Like beautiful cross cutting between what the team's doing, what Ted's doing. Is it's just it's great. It's just wonderful. I can't if you're not watching Ted Lasso, you have to watch Ted Lasso. And I mean I what show in the past two years, Roger, could you say is a higher recommend than Ted Lasso? Nothing really, but so I'm, I've heard a lot of things lately about how a lot of people think the second season isn't as good as the first season. And I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but I don't think there's anything wrong with the second season at all. I think every week I laugh out loud and still it still has the heart and soul of Ted Lasso. So, you know, if you're one of the people that don't think this episode or this season is quite as good, you know, we haven't seen it all yet, so you don't know. So that's that's right. I mean, but it's still, if it's not a 10, it's a nine. Sure. And, that's, and that's being, you know, that's, it's just, Ted Lasso is one of those things. If you're not watching it and you love story, you're just, you're just robbing yourself of a great experience. Well, that's, and that's just a fact. There's no opinion there. Roy Kent. <laughs> he's here. He's everywhere. He's every fucking where. Roy Kent. All right. Let's talk about some movies. Roger, I watched The Protégé. You watched Respect and we both watched Reminiscence. So do you want to do Respect or you want me to hop on Protégé? That's up to you. I can go first if you want. All right, take you know, just take 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 a few minutes and tell us about uh, respect and what you thought about it. Let me grab my particulars real quick. Particulars, and we will do this. So, uh, respect came out a couple weeks ago, and it is the biopic of uh, excuse me, released on August thirteenth, directed by uh, Alicia Tomey, uh, starring Jennifer Hudson, Forrest Whitaker, Marlon Wayans, Audrey McDonald, Mark Maron, Titus Burgess, Mary J. Blige, and a host of other folks. Um, this is, like I said, it's a biopic of Aretha Franklin, and it is exactly what you think it is. There is a lot of singing, a lot of story. Um, yeah, overall, it's, it's you know, a pretty decent biography film. Uh, it's a little bit darker 
than what most people thought. It doesn't shy away from the fact that she was molested um, as a young child, so much so that she became pregnant at like 12. I did not know that. Yeah, right. A lot of people didn't. I didn't know that, so I had to go like verify it. Like that wasn't something that really came about, like who even was the father of that until like after she died. Um, so, but yeah, so that's definitely part of that story. Um, we see about like her family's, um, her mom and dad are divorced. Her father's a high power preacher in Detroit. Um, her dad is very controlling. Um, you learn a lot about that throughout the story. Um, as she grows up, listen, she can sing all the way through. Even, like, I was impressed to find the, the name of the young lady who played young Aretha. Sky Dakota Turner. Um, she oh, you liked her? She, she's really good. Yeah, she, I mean, dude, she killed it. Good, I'm glad. As uh, young Aretha Franklin, so. Yeah. How's Jennifer Hudson as older Aretha Franklin? Um, I mean, she's Jennifer Hudson, so. Incredible singing? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Jennifer Hudson just does Jennifer Hudson things. Um, <laughs> she sings incredibly well. Um, so much so I had a conversation with a couple of people about who is the most successful American Idol contestant of all time. And I think she's like number two or three. Um, so there's that. But yeah, she's excellent. Excellent in the show. Sings great. Does a Puts a lot of emphasis on... Uh, one real part of this movie focuses on Aretha Franklin's alcohol problem. Um, so I also did not know that. Yeah. So, so much so, like, she had to, like, stop. Like, she fell off a stage. <laughs> yeah, like, legitimately just fell off the stage drunk, which that probably sucked a lot. <laughs> Can I, It probably didn't feel good. No, I, I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, so this story, it, it does a pretty good job of, you know, curtailing a lot of parts of her life. The only problem I have with this movie, one, it's super long. It's two hours and 26 minutes long. And we go, we spend a lot of time looking at things that I don't know really mattered in the long run. Um, to just immediately jump ahead, like, and then hit five or six things in, like, five or six minutes. It's kind of weird, like, where she's getting famous... You know, her, her legend is growing, I guess. We jump from, like, you know, 1968 to 69 to 70. We stop at 70 for a while, and then, like, 72, 73, 74, just kind of piles up. Then we spend a time frame, you know, in that. That that was kind of not so great for me to follow along. Again, though, it was, like I said, this movie is just really long. And I've heard a lot of people say recently like, that I'm not a big fan of long movies. That's not entirely true. Um, I just... I don't think that every movie needs to be two and a half hours anymore, especially if they're not super, super great. Now, I will premise with this movie is pretty good, and Jennifer Hudson absolutely kills it. Um, and I actually love Martin Wayans in this movie. Um, he plays her shitty, abusive husband, Ted. Um, great. So, yeah. But uh, I think he acts like I've never seen him do anything better than this. So, Oh, good. That's good yeah. to hear, then. That's good to hear. Yeah, he plays real shitbag, and he does a really good <laughs> job at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's this movie is not going to be for everybody if you're not in the movies that really revolve around music and have a lot of music in them. This isn't going to be for you. Uh, if you don't care about Aretha Franklin and the, the Queen of Soul, probably not for you either. Um, however, I'm glad I watched it. 
Um, it ends up being a pretty decent movie. And like I said, it, it's it's not bubblegum. It's not all happiness. There's a lot of depressing shit in here, and it really has it tells the story um, pretty well. And they don't really they don't really cut corners. They don't make her seem like she's perfect because she's definitely got some problems, and they don't shy away from it. So, yeah. Um, any questions about any of that? Or should I expound on anything? Well, so I've, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to catch that this week. Uh, but questions I have, for example, you said they they really took some time to to get across the fact that she has problems and not perfect. Did mm-hmm. you did you like that as far as the biopic is concerned? Well, I mean, it, it works because so one of the things that when she's coming out of her alcoholism, um, she she she's a very religious person. Her family is super religious. Her father's a pastor. I mean, he's not a great guy. Um, he's super controlling, but he is very like ultra religious. Okay. So, you know, she's always had been around the church and like so much so that her dad is pretty shitty about, you know, like you left, you gave up on God and blah, blah, blah. Like one of those weird spiels. Um, but they end up talking about, um, how Aretha goes to her, her studio head people. And was like, I want to make a gospel album. And they're like, I don't know if you really want to make a gospel album. You know, it doesn't really sell. You had a really rough time doing gospel stuff when you first started. And she ends up convincing him, like, this is how she's going to help get herself through this, help heal herself. And it ends up because they, they do a documentary about while she's doing it. And, you know, they film the whole thing. It ends up becoming, and it still is to this day, I actually went and verified this, her best-selling album of all time is her gospel album. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, that's re- that's pretty much how they end the story with that. And obviously it fashes, you know, the end of her life when like, you know, when she sang it like inaugurations and things like that. But yeah, that, that's really where the main climax of the story comes to a head. And it's, it's really neat, really interesting. And it's really, you know, again, like, I mean, they don't shy away. It's really powerful because even she doesn't really believe like it's the right thing to do. And it ends up like basically saving her life. So, yeah, it was it's it's pretty solid, you know. Where would you put it in the biopics with you know recent ones such as like Bohemian Rhapsody and well, what was the other so, one we had we had um, oh what's the other one? Bohemian Elton Rhapsody John, uh, um, John right? Man. so I don't here's the thing as both of those are very music driven I think both of those are probably better than this um, however you know I, I mentioned for a long time that I thought Rocket Man was a better movie than Bohemian Rhapsody I still stand by that I always said that Remy Malik did a better job as Freddie Mercury than Karen uh, Edgerton did as uh, Elton John. Now, listen, Jennifer Hudson in this movie is incredible. (laughs) She is incredible. This movie's not as good as either one of those two, but she puts on a performance that's every bit as good as they are. So... Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Definitely going to get Oscar buzz for this. Strong performances is is what I love. So I mean, that's good. That's good. That's good that there's some. You have a lot of positives about. That's good. Um, I had a lot of positives. I do have some negatives. I don't really dig into the negatives too much. You know, watch the movie. You know, sort through it by yourself and come up with it. I'll go ahead and just rate it. I've been kind of teetering on the edge of where I'm going to rate this because listen, this is not. The movie is not on the quality of either one of those two movies. But, I mean, it's a solid seven, I think. Um, it definitely works. You know, if you're a fan of, or especially of uh, the soul music or Aretha Franklin in general, you definitely want to check, uh, check this out. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think seven's very fair for that. I Listen, I give her performance like a nine and a half. 
in the rest wow. of the movie. Dang, yeah. no, I'm really excited to check this one out. He kills it. Good, good. I'm glad. All right, I will take a few minutes to go over the protege. Uh, give me some particulars out of the way. Still, for unknown reasons, we don't know why we didn't get that locally. So, <laughs> you know. All right, Michael Keaton, Maggie Q, Samuel L. Jackson, and Robert Patrick, which I was happy to see, has a has a much bigger role than I thought he was going to have. Uh, this is directed by Martin Campbell, right, written by Richard Wank. And that's, I guess, this is kind of what he does. But Wank? Wank, W-E-N-K. Wank? <laughs> All right, so Maggie Q is the focus here, which is great because she is great. She was one of the best parts about this movie. She is as elegant and graceful as a woman, uh, as like a, a woman should be, and she's as deadly as an assassin. And that's just, it's a great mixture of the character. Because she uses both to deadly efficiency, and I love it. I love every second of her role on screen. Uh, so I love the fact that she's taken this front and center stage. And one thing I did notice, we, we did recently watch, what was the Netflix movie, Roger? Milkshake? Gunpowder Gun Milkshake. Where there was an assassin league that was kind of you know based in a bookshop. I think the Netflix movie was a response to this, and they put that out quicker because they don't have any... They don't have to worry about advertising or anything or slots or you know, what, what's available per week. So I think that was kind of their response to this because it's very similar to this. Uh, but, I mean, so if you've seen Milkshake, the Gunpowder Milkshake, you've seen kind of what this movie has to offer. Although this movie is much better than Gunpowder Milkshake, thankfully. Yeah, so, Gunpowder Milkshake is not good. No, so. not, not at all. But So it starts out – we start out in the Dan, the Dan Nang region of Vietnam. Sam Jackson is a is an assassin. Um, it is – just after, just after the Vietnam War, and he's still doing some wet work for the government, um, and he's he comes across her body, her, yeah. a, 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 sorry, a young girl in a closet with a gun. Did you that, say wet work? Wet works isn't that for killing and assassin? Yeah, but do you remember on Horrible Bosses <laughs> when they bring when they bring uh, um, what's his name that played Mister Fantastic? Um, well, he thinks he's an assassin, and he was just like. Thought he's gonna murder them, and he was like, "I know what you're talking about." Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. What was it? Ione Guilford. Um. Oh God, what's his name? Hang on. This is great. Yeah, Ione uh, Gruffid. Oh, Ione uh, Gruffid. Yeah, Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. And he was just like, uh, he was like, "Oh no!" He's like, "No, I, I was going to pee on you." <laughs> and he was just like, "If you don't mind, I have to use the restroom. I've built up such an extreme amount of urine." <laughs> <laughs> I always think about that whenever somebody says what work. No, no, yeah. I, I got you. I got you. Sorry, I derailed everything. That's a, well. Okay, start my shitty callbacks. <laughs> it's a good callback. Horrible Bosses is a good movie. I like that, and the, and they see in the sequel, even better. So, so he starts in the Dan Nang region. He discovers uh, her in the closet with a gun. Very young. She's killed several men in the room by herself. Um, so he he's gonna smuggle her out. Uh, he sees potential in her. He's gonna like smuggle her out, kind of be a father figure to her teach her you know hence the name the protege and then he gets her out but we cut to um we cut to a, a hit in in 2021 recent time and then <clears throat> what i like about it is we get the rest of that story later and that it's very effective and powerful when we get the rest of that story later because it's not as simple as just taking her out of the country there's a lot more to it but it, there's also more to the character of sam jackson's character which is he is moody <clears throat> that's his name moody and he's one of the top assassins. And then we cut to her. She owns a bookshop. Rare books, like books that cost like $300,000. I didn't know books cost that much. Shit, really? Yeah, like, I mean, she, um, 
what's a uh, Rembrandt. Michael Keaton comes in and wants to buy a book for his boss who's collects books. And I think they look at a, like a, a book that was published Poe's first 10 poems, Edgar Allan Poe. And it's like only 50 were made. Only 12 exist. I think it was like $296,000. And he's like, oh, I'll get her a bracelet. <laughs> I told him how, how much it was. And so it, uh, there's some, there's some really kind of tongue in cheek banter. Uh, in the bookstore between Michael Keaton, who is very visually 25 or 30 years her senior. Uh, mm-hmm. and, they, and they try to make it on an even playing field, but they don't really do a good job of aging her up and aging him down. But and there's, you're very aware that the dialogue is written 100% written and it is not being delivered. You know, you're very aware that it is too suave to be delivered by two people. Okay. And, but that kind of goes along with the whole, the protege thing with the whole setups and the marks and you take time to plan. It just kind of goes with it. But Michael Keaton is every bit as amazing as Maggie Q in this movie. Michael Keaton as Rembrandt uh, is also as good as she is as Maggie Q's Anna. Uh, And then we cut to her father figure, Moody. Uh, We cut to a scene when people break into his house, they shoot his wife um, they, they supposedly kill him in the bathtub. Um, and then she discovers it. She goes to take a present and discovers that the house has been broken into. And then of course she has to track down the people who did it and kill oh, yeah, them. Of course. As, Why not? as assassins do, they get revenge for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so some strengths, this movie is absolutely Maggie Q is an asset here. She Kills is it. fantastic as an assassin. I love every minute of her on screen. She has absolutely earned this front runner position. I, I do not I'm very happy I was able to see this. Uh, Michael Keaton is great. Sam Jackson is always is great. I mean, he plays the the loud kind of boisterous, like slinging f words everywhere. But like you, we've come to expect that from Sam Jackson's character. Yeah, right? of course. Just, <laughs> everywhere we've come to expect it. Uh, and there's one thing I did love in this movie is there are some very impressive fight scenes, which I think Roger is something that you probably are going to be jealous of the most. Oh, okay. The very well choreographed fight scenes. For instance, Michael Keaton, and I and I, I read that for some of this he did his own stunts, and he is not young. He's not young. Really? So yeah, he still got it. So yeah, there are some very impressive fight scenes um, that kind of reminded me of the Bourne. Like they're that well, they're that well choreographed. They, I, I mean, it was kind of like watching Jason Bourne with his people again, which was super great. Uh, Michael Keaton goes toe to toe with Maggie Q, and it is. It's like a 10-minute slug, slug fest of them just blow after blow of hitting each other with pipes and and uh, lamps and glass things. and it is More people should be hit with pipes and lamps every day. More people should be hit with pipes and lamps, yes. Uh, so there's a very impressive choreography in this. The story, unfortunately, is where the movie takes a major hit. It's very Not convoluted. so great, huh? Not so great. It's convoluted. It kind of gets bogged down on its own. It tries to be too clever with who's still alive, who never died. I mean, and this happens on both sides. And it's it's kind of the Mission Impossible 2 effect where like, well, Jesus, what, are you going to take off your face again and be someone else? Like, you know, it's like one of those, why can't people just be dead and be dead kind of things. But uh, the story is where this movie really suffers, unfortunately, and it's not the strong point, which I feel like in an assassin movie probably should be somewhat engaging, but it's not. And what I found myself clinging to was the choreography Maggie Q kicking ass and, you know, the other fight scenes that happen. There's some very impressive gunplay at one point in this movie. Uh, there's, there's a, they use a drone in a, in a kind of a clever way. I, I don't want to ruin that. That's kind of a cool scene too. 
Um, you know, Sam Jackson has a hideout he's built for himself. It's just, it's everything you'd expect from a Sam Jackson character, really. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the protege. I'm glad I was able to see it. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't have gotten it locally though. Cause it's everything about this movie screams wide release. You know, it's, you know, directed by Martin Campbell. It's got, you know, three Michael Keaton, Maggie Q, Sam Jackson, three huge stars, you know, Patrick, uh, Robert Patrick is this, isn't it? Uh, they spend time in a couple different countries. So, uh, yeah, I, unfortunately I, I, I gotta, it's not going to be scored as high as, as your movie was Roger, as, um, uh, respect. Respect. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to have to go with a with a six on this one. I, I was I was debating between a five and a half and a six, but again, I have such a love for well choreographed fight scenes that look like people getting hurt, and I I, I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way, but Good. and I mean you know like the whole James Bond formula. Look, James gets up and he's fine every time. He's never taken any damage. You know, it's just, he's a pretty boy that, you know, it's just, I don't like, I like the, the, the effect when, you know, Maggie Q, for example, walks away with several cuts on her face and on her body. And so does, so does, um, so does Michael Keaton. It's, it's more real. It feels real. Um, there's one fight scene where they, where they fight for a while and then they, they end up having sex like right afterwards. Strong. <laughs> Which, you know. Real power move. He, they're fighting, and he's like, "Well, we, you, you, you can either keep fighting me, or you can fuck me." And then the next scene is they're just laying in bed after having done the deed. So I found that a little too tongue in cheek. I, I know it's trying to pick back up from where they left off in the bookshop, but it takes the movie down a path that you expect it to go, and it doesn't. But when when it doesn't go down the path you you expect it to go, it's weird because the movie's already set it up, and it doesn't. Uh, it's kind of strange, and that's what hurts it when. You find out the ultimate, the ulterior motives behind characters, and it's just you, you say to yourself, "Well, I'm kind of underwhelmed by that, by that, you know, climax. I was kind of underwhelmed by that ending." <laughs> so, five and a half is where I'm sitting with the protege. But if you like well choreographed fight scenes, like we have talked about several on the show, just in the past year, even you will like this movie. It is for you. It is a well made assassin movie. Unfortunately, the story is where the movie suffers. So, <laughs> Or six, Goddamn I'm sorry, six. Story. six. So six isn't terrible. Six is above average and it's just below seven. I mean, it's, you know, numerically. Here we are again but... with a goddamn story ruining a good movie. <laughs> yeah, but I do think, Roger, when this comes on a streaming network, you should check it out. I think you would really dig this movie. I would have loved to have got to watch it in theaters, but apparently, yeah. like, where I live, that's just not a thing. That's a protege no-fly zone, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I was pleasantly, I was, I was very happy with it, so... But uh, I'm trying to be more uh, critical of what we talk about. So a six is unfortunately where it sits. But I think the the six the the overcompensation for the cool choreography helps make up for the weak story in in this instance, which is a good thing. Good. Which is a very good thing. All right, now let's talk about reminiscence, which I think you and I have a shared disappointment <laughs> for. <laughs> shared disappointment. So, so going into this, let's just take thirty seconds. Going into this. Hugh Jackman, huge budget. It looks kind of noirish. You don't know what's going on with the water. It looks like it's going to be an interesting, like an interesting movie, right? You're kind of getting, uh, you're, 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 you're kind of getting an Inception vibe. You're getting a Nolan vibe. You know, you're getting good vibes. Yeah. Cut to watching the movie and <laughs> walking out of the theater, like what in the hell? I what described it, it as, to somebody as like it was like if you watched Inception and it was bad. 
<laughs> sure, you watch Inception and it's bad. So, Roger, take 30 seconds and tell people what Reminiscence is all about. Um, well, shit, I don't know if I can. So, <laughs> Reminiscence is a technology where they can look into people's memories. And Hugh Jackman's character, um, was it Nick? Nick, yes. Nick's his name. Um, he runs a little shop, basically, where people go in. They can pay money to relive their memories. Like They go in like a dreamlike state, and they just remember it with a little bit of coaching. And the, they all play out on a uh, like this weird 3D-looking stage where you can see everything. It's right from the trailer. You can see exactly what we're talking about. Um, and then he meets a lady, falls in love, and then we have the story of you know, like she disappears, and that's where... That's the real story of Reminiscence. What Reminiscence really is, though, is just looking into the dreams of uh, people and their memories. So I don't know if I can say a whole lot more in detail and have it, you understand it because it's hard to well, understand. It's, it's also kind of revealing in a way, too. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is kind of a whodunit film, like a, a film noir kind of deal going on, which I didn't expect. So, I mean, a vibe I got... I think, I mean, an obvious vibe they're going for, I think, was Blade Runner. You know, you, uh, you're trying no, to. Really, I don't. I don't even think that. No, I. To me, I really got that atmosphere of that kind of. So that one thing, this is made by the people that do what that did Westworld or are doing Westworld for HBO, and it definitely feels very Westworldy. Um, I don't know if that's the greatest thing in the world for this movie at all. So. Well, Westworld season one is very different than Westworld current, so I mean, that's, sure. So, I mean, that's that's for sure. damn sure. But I mean, Lisa Joy wrote and directed it. Of course, Hugh Jackman. Look, Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, and Thandi Newton. Mm-hmm. They they are excellent. excellent. They yeah, are excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, A list people. I mean, same with you know Daniel Rue, Cliff Curtis. You've seen them in a million things, and they're always great in what they're in. They're you know that's the thing that that bothers me the most about this movie is it it has the talent. It certainly has the budget and it has Hugh Jackman. And then, so, and they also have this cool, like, so you have this cool shtick of you can, people can tap into their memories and relive moments or revisit things. And they use it for a, like a detective story. And they do use it for a detective story. Like legitimately the DA's office gets him to come in and they put people under and have them remember things. It's kind of weird. So a lot of legal gray area there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, one, so- one movie I did think about when watching this movie was Minority Report. Okay, sure. Only, only because I've watched that recently, and it was like it's recent. I wouldn't have if I hadn't. I wouldn't have thought of it if I had not seen that like three weeks ago. No, so. I get that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I here's where some of my disappointment comes in: is the story is incredibly the not, it's all over the place. Not not only is it all over the place; it's not the focus of this movie. It's like so, but like we're also at a time when. The, the the effects in the green screen are just they're awesome, you know. Yeah, like, the effects are great. You really can't tell where. I mean, think back to Blade Runner. Blade Runner, you know, the first one, the effects were groundbreaking at the time, but you're it's very obvious you're looking at effects. And see, now we come to cut to twenty twenty one, where you know we have software so good that you can't even tell that you know th- that they had to digitally create that in almost entire world. Yeah, but it just it looks so great. It just looked amazing. But I am surprised that they – there's almost nothing original. That's – okay, that's my biggest gripe. There's nothing original in this movie. It is bol- borrowed and stolen from 
five or six other better movies. Sure. I mean, the story's not linear, and they don't tell a lot of background on a lot of stuff that's going on. I mean, so let's talk about the setting of this movie for one second. Uh, we're in the future. We have no idea when. We are in Miami, Florida, which is, like, underwater. And all they do is talk about a war over and over again that they don't ever tell you too much about, that, you know, that Nick's character was in the war part of it with uh, his partner Watts. Many, many people uh, were in the war. Many people. Yeah. But they don't explain why it started, who won, <laughs> nothing, right? So, I mean, that's that's one of the issues I have with this movie. Um, it's all over the place, and it gives you little bits and pieces of things, but never any of the stuff you really want to hear. And with a nonlinear story, which is what I mean when the story jumps around back and forth piece by piece, um, it makes it a lot harder to follow than you know your average movie. And I think it really hurts this film. This movie's not... Um, not one, you know, you're going to sit down and watch the first time and be like, oh, I understand everything. All right, you may have gotten it, but you didn't understand everything. Well, no, you didn't. And it's one that, also the ending is one of those endings I'm like, again, people are going to oh, say. Oh, trash that. cop out, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, such a cop out. You know, trash so cop out. Here's what I compare to the cop outs is in, in, and in high school, I took a lot of writing courses and, you know, the same teacher taught them all. And she's always like, do not do the cop out. Where it's like, then he, he saw some phone numbers, he dialed the number, and then that's where you end your story. She's like, do not do that. Follow through with your story, follow through with the narrative, bring it to a completion. And this is kind of like, that is exactly what she was telling us not to do was what Reminiscence did in the mm -hmm. end. I don't want to ruin the end, so I'm not going to say it, but it's very dissatisfying and it's, it's very, well... Dissatisfying is a great word for it. It's, I mean... It's kind of Inception-like in a way because, I mean... But, so, I mean, like, I wasn't kidding when I described it as Inception but bad. <laughs> it really is because, I mean, so if if you look at Inception a certain way, uh, and I've actually had conversations with Nolan about, like, one of the few people that have a conversation with Nolan about Inception because uh, I got to travel on Dark Knight Rises and I talked to him a few times, really. I mean, it was incredible moments in my life that I'll never forget. But, I mean, so part of the way you can interpret Inception is because of the way in the end of Inception when he spins the top on the table and then walks outside to see his children and then you see Michael Caine walking away into the camera smiling is the entirety of Inception. The reason why Caine's character goes to recruit Ellen Page's character is to find a way to get his son, played by Leo, down there where he's happy all the time and won't suffer anymore. That's, sure. one, that's one way you can interpret Inception. And so with that kind of ending is – kind of the way this i could saw i'm like but in inception it wasn't a cop-out because you know the, the 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 top keeps things interesting and of course it even keeps the dialogue open today with people about well you know i think this happened because because the, the top didn't stop you know, you don't know i mean the top didn't stop spinning but it did falter for a second you know it's one of those things mm -hmm. but that's kind of this ending is <laughs> this ending is very one way but it's also kind of contradictory to where hugh jackman and rebecca ferguson started it's just, I'm surprised that's where they ended the movie. And I'm sure there's a longer cut of this and a director's cut, which does not have that ending. But uh, this was the safe ending, I'm sure, that the studio opted for. But who knows? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and part of what you said earlier about this being nonlinear, one of my problems with nonlinear stories is you really have to be, you really have to be on the spot with helping your audience figure out where you are in the timeline at the moment where you cut to or for, or where you cut back or to something. You know what I mean? Like a lot of movies do that really well. Sure. 
a lot of movies that really poorly. This does it because so the entire you watch the opening where he's narrating what a memory is, how powerful it can be, you know, yep. fate, destiny, all this, all this stuff that you know movies harp on forever. And then you see a movie, a, a scene play out. He goes to work. They extract a memory and let a woman see it. She says thank you, walks away. His war friend comes, same thing. And then Rebecca Ferguson enters in like a very film noirish kind of way, you know, femme, femme fatale kind of way. Oh yeah. Super sexy. <laughs> yeah. Like you're wearing a dress and like, you know, her legs showing high heels, all that wonderful kind of stylized stuff. She and then like naked after, and then, then you find out that that's a dream, that that is a memory that he's looking into. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that. It's really movie. hard to keep track of where you are in the story and what was, I mean, that is always a problem in time jumping movies. When you go back and forth between the timeline, it's always difficult. So, I mean, it's just, this movie didn't handle it the best it could have. I'm sure a second viewing would really help out, but I, so let me ask you a last question and mentioning it. Do you want to do a second viewing of this movie? Maybe, maybe in a few weeks, but not, not like right away. Not anytime soon, right? No, it's, it's not the easiest movie to digest either. You know, it's very, it is. I mean, you use a word that I think is very applicable to a lot of movies. It is very depressing because he is dealing with something. He's dealing with loss and everyone around him is also dealing with loss. The world is dealing with an incredible amount of loss. There's climate change, waters rising for whatever reason, wars everywhere. I mean, we're, unless that's a social commentary on where we're going. I don't think so, but I mean, it, I mean, it could be. I mean, I mean, people say in, you know, by 2050, this world could be a bunch of flash floods and wildfires everywhere. I mean, I don't, again, that's far away, but again, there could have been Lisa Joy being very forward thinking and, you know, invoking that Westworldish kind of view. Does, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's definitely the Westworld vibes out of here. I mean, it's not even, they don't even like try to cover it up. <laughs> so well, let's, let's, so let's talk about like the, the, just the plot for a second. You know, that we have the dirty cop again, very film noirish, you know, we have Dirty Cop trying to cover something up. We have, you know, you don't know whose kid is whose and you're trying to figure that out. And you have people that like refuse to look to the future and are mm-hmm. just just looking back, um, especially that, you know, the, the woman who was pregnant and has had her kid. You know, it's just that it's just it's just the confusing nature of that adds to the already very confusing plot you're trying to sift through in your head. I just don't think it helps the movie at all. I think so. Let's talk about the plot for a second. The whole thing with Cyrus Booth, a corrupt cop, and Daniel Wu, Saint Joe, uh, kind of doing bad things on the side. Um, May Rebecca Ferguson gets involved. Uh, you know, then you have Jackman's assistant, played by Thandie Newton. Emily, actually, I thought she was one of the best parts of the movie. Thandie Newton, she was excellent. Um, then you you kind of have her getting sucked in, and it's just there's a lot going on for what didn't have to be a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts for, to tell a not-so-great story. But they could have... My point is, like, why... If you're going to come up with something like this, which, you know, sci-fi is sci-fi. You don't... You're not... You're not adhere to the normal rules with world-building in sci-fi because you're just... Everything is... It's not like you're telling a story that happened in the past. You're telling... No, you don't, you don't have to... You know, you're not tied to those kind of rules. Exactly, which is, this is what they came up with, which is, I find it very odd because this is, this would have been my third or fourth choice with story and not, you know, you have cool things you could do with memory and, 
if he's trying to find someone, how you go about accessing memories, and I mean, but it, did, it, did it have to be a crime story? I'm, I'm asking. I mean, that no, I mean, it, movie. I don't know if it needs to be a crime story, but it is basically a missing persons. Which, right? when the when it finally plays out and you learn where all the missing pieces have fallen, Roger, you said something before we started shooting that you were kind of surprised by that. Uh, about what? About where certain oh, characters yeah, the ended up. Of the yeah. What happens to somebody in this movie? Yeah, I, I I was very surprised, and it was something different, which I did, you know, I did um, respect that because most people don't have the balls to do that, um, especially in a movie that I will classify as not very good overall. So, <laughs> well, I mean, something that you said a few weeks ago, which is still has continued to resonate with me, and I, I didn't even like consider it until you said it. Is it's okay to not let to not have the good guys win all the time? It is. It's definitely okay. Now, listen. That is extremely risky, extremely risky. <laughs> um, and if you want to look at this movie as something like that, I don't know if that's a fair way to judge this movie per se, but to write a movie and have the the good guys, in quotation marks, be defeated or thoroughly defeated, uh, God damn, I would take some balls to do. Well, I mean, they – I mean – they walk away alive in this movie, but they've lost a lot more than they've gained or found. You ever watch the movie um, Perfect Storm? Yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. Clooney and Wahlberg and, and them. Jeff Bridges. Is Jeff Bridges in that? Uh, I don't remember. Um, yeah, but, but listen. They, they all die. <laughs> they all, well, they all die. None of the good guys make it. That's it. Oh, you know, a movie came before that that made me cry, and it's the same one White Squall. Oh, yeah, same thing. Or that, those, that might be Jeff. I think that's Jeff Bridges. That's Jeff Bridges, yeah. yeah. Jeff Most Jeff. of those people, they die. And it's, it's you know, taken it's by the sea. It is sad. Yeah. It is. And one movie that um, actually the my first assistant said she just watched and was infuriated by the ending. Uh, uh, what's Carrie Mulligan was in A Promising Young Woman that we, we watched. Where, see, okay. Where the now, ending doesn't go. That movie ends, how that movie ends is shocking. Um I thought that movie was incredible, though. So, yeah, yeah I, don't think, I don't think how that movie ends made it a bad thing. No, but you were angry by the way it ended. Sure. You, I mean, you did not want what happened to her to happen to her. For again, sure. super fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they almost got away with it until the last, you know, 25 seconds, <laughs> which is, I mean, and then Bo Burnham turning out to be such a piece of shit. Um, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But I mean, that it's all thematically in line with what's going on in that movie. Yeah. But, Sure. So those are, I mean, the examples you can do that now I can watch, I can't watch Promising Young Woman again for a while because it's a well-made movie that doesn't end the way, I, the way that a character should end. That's the difference in rem- Reminiscence is it's just an okay movie that gets bogged down in all the wrong places. It's still a very long slog, you know, it just to, to go through. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with Reminiscence is just kind of a slog. Yeah, it's it's not worth my time, and it won't be or it won't be worth my time again for a while. Is that is that fair to say? It is, and it is two hours. So theatrically, it was two and a half. Yeah, I never felt this movie was overly long, but it's a slog. It a is, slog and there were a ton of trailers before this movie. A ton. I mean, I, I counted nine trailers before this movie. Jesus, really? Yeah, I don't know what they're doing, but. And I was also the only one in the theater, which was very nice. I didn't have to worry about anyone sitting next to me. Oh, there was nobody in my theater. Yeah. So yeah, it's just super nice to not have to worry about that. But so reminiscence is a very it's a big disappointment for me because I was expecting great things from it. I, I really I really was. And you know, I'm I'm I think more the optimist on the show than you are, but 
you know, when I come to come. Yeah, you're the optimist. Right? I'm the realist. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I did love. And that's now okay. You know, now you know I loved work. one certain scene. You know I loved it. The where, uh, where she's talking to Cliff Curtis, but she's really talking to. Yeah, to uh, the part where he's telling her how he found her vibrator underneath the. The yeah. desk. Yeah, that's the part. That's the part. Oh, cool. <laughs> no, the uh, where she's cool, uh, why everything I said is actually in the movie. By the way, it is. Um, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, where she's talking to the corrupt cop, who she's kind of had. A, I mean, she's kind of had a weird tryst with anyway. But but she's pretty much talking to Nick. But he's watching it through the memory, and of course, he steps up onto the platform in the place of the cop. So she's really talking to it. It's actually yeah. a well. It's actually a well crafted scene. It just, it's so good that it. The, the, so good, it's bad, man. Well, no, it's oh. the, the the movie doesn't earn that scene. No, yet, and that's another one of my. The movie doesn't earn anything, and it's and it's a problem. You know, it just. When is Hollywood going to learn that all the money, all the, you know, huge amounts of money and huge amounts of talent doesn't equal good. You people wasted Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. You did. Well, Shame on you. Who are both, I mean, fantastic. So it's just, a, it's just a shame that Hollywood, in my mind, just doesn't get it. They never – I mean, it's been a while since they have gotten it, if they ever did. It's just I don't understand that why you can't just put a coherent story together. Make it simple. What's the problem? Make a guy who looks back at people's memories, finds a way to access his own memory, and gets – hung up on the fact that he can't find the woman he's been searching for forever. That's a simple story. Why couldn't, and I mean, why, why did you have to go make this weird film noir, you know, Blade Runner-esque whodunit story? <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. I just, I, I get kind Good. of upset when, how you doing, buddy? You doing good? <laughs> I'm okay. You all right? I'm, I'm okay. Good. Uh, so let's move to score this bad boy. Hmm. Um, so you can go first. I'll, I, I want to go last. I have my reasons. Okay, well, so, I mean, this movie is like a four at best. Um, it's a slog. They only explain half the stuff. Hugh Jackman's fine. Rebecca Ferguson is fine. Story stinks. Uh, looks cool. That's really about the high point. Four. I'm going to give it a five. I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought you were going to give it a lot lower, and I was going to be the one that's no. way out of sync. Uh, no, I mean, not, not a lot lower, no. I want people to watch this movie. And what we've said, it, it may seem detrimental to you, but I mean, it is well, what we what I've just said, but it also, it is Hugh Jackman, it is Rebecca Ferguson, it is Stanley Newton with high budget, great visual effects. Kind of a cool premise. There's no reason really to not watch this movie if you are any kind of person that loves movies. Because I mean, Hugh Jackman always brings it. There's a couple of action scenes, although... There wasn't anything that really required his intensity, except for one. No, there's like one fight scene. There's one fight scene where he's holding a gun to someone. That I mean, that's it though. And again, he you're wasting what Hugh Jackman can do. What few actors can do is his level of intensity, and you just waste it. If you have that talent, you've got to use that talent. You've got to use what he's good at is intense. You know, I mean, it's just it's strange to me why you wouldn't utilize more of that or even do a quick rewrite when he gets signed on to have that moment with him or more than one moment and the more moment that matters because that moment really doesn't matter a whole lot no when the when the story actually plays out it's actually put on the back burner which kind of sucks but 
Um, there, I, I visually this movie is great. They don't explain any. You don't know why the water's rising. Nope. You, you have no idea why there was a war. Who was fighting? You don't know about this war. <laughs> who, who won? Who was fighting? What the nope. what the stakes were? I mean, well, yeah, no, nothing, <laughs> no, nothing. Which nope. I kept expecting. Nope, not once. Not even in like a, not even in a memory. You know what's a much better movie? I just thought about is one of your favorite movies, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes, much with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Edge of is, Tomorrow is a ten. Fight me. Edge of Tomorrow is. Uh, I just watched it on the plane coming back, and I was like, "Man, lucky this movie you!" Is excellent. Jeez. I will champion that movie until I die. And there's a sequel coming out, so fuck yeah, there is. Bring it to me. It does the movie justice because that movie deserves a good sequel. Now, this movie does not deserve a sequel, and I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm sure they've already talked about it. This movie may not get a second viewing from me, let alone a fucking sequel. Well, that's the whole thing with like, Ooh, I no, and I'm definitely going to give another another view only because it's free. I mean. It being it being on Amazon or it being on HBO Max is is a pretty big deal for a second viewing because it's I can just turn it on as I go to sleep and it's maybe good. get some stuff. Real good second viewing. <laughs> oh, oh, well, probably I mean, won't take very long. No, for me it's that's kind of hey oh yeah well, whatever great. So I'm very disappointed that I gave this movie a five. I wanted to give this movie a seven. I'm sure you did too. We want to give every movie. I a wanted 10. to give it a seven until I watched it. Yeah. And then I was happy to give it- <laughs> Four. Ah, damn. I want to give every movie a 10, but I want it to earn the 10s. Well, well I mean, I want to listen. I want to give every, every movie a good score because I want it to be a good movie. So it's just, it's, it's a waste of resources. It's a waste of big budget. It's a waste of an A-list talent. It's a waste of so many things that you could have used for a better movie or better yet, divide that assets up and do three or four different, make three or four lower budget movies, better movies because you have the assets to do it. It's just one of those things. I'm very disappointed in this. You can do better, Warner Brothers. You do, can do better, better, be better. And as Roger says, since this is a Warner Brothers movie with Dune, give it to us, you cowards. <laughs> give me Dune, you fucking cowards. <laughs> I mean, it's coming. Okay. Weeks away now. It's just yes, like, we are. Yeah, we're coming. It's coming. Weeks away, my friend. Weeks away from Dune. All right, it's been some movies. Some movies, yes, sir, some indeed. Some movies, indeed. I didn't expect Respect to be the movie of the week, but you gave it a um, seven, and, you know, and that was the highest scored of the week. So we got to give it the gold star for the for the, for the show, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, you got the highest score, right? All right. This has been episode 241 of For the Love of Cinema. Each new episode posts every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. New York time on Podbean which then distributes to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. Please leave a comment or two, rate, subscribe. Every little bit helps. More importantly, thank you very much for listening. Check out the show on Twitter, at Love Cinema Pod. I am at Grayson Maxwell One. I am at Rod Stillian. Don't forget to check out the page on Facebook and check us out on YouTube. Send us an email to ForTheLoveOfCinemaPodcast at gmail.com. And next week, we're taking a look at Candyman, not Candyland, Candyman, and Vacation Friends. Candyman. You excited about talking about smuggling dope in your butthole? Yes. Mm-hmm.